are you going to stand by this? Are you going to say that's acceptable? Or are you going to wait for somebody else to fight for you? Or are you actually going to stand up for yourself? Life can be hard. It can be very, very tough. The courage within you can drive you forward. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. We are currently in a time when solidarity and visible action are needed more than ever. And for those of us who are advocates and activists for other groups, it is on our shoulders to have the courage to drive their causes forward. In this episode, you're going to get to meet the visionary who set into motion the goals, values, and purpose for the World Gay Boxing Championships, Martin Stark. Martin is a courage champion, inclusion practitioner, and advocate of diversity, social justice, and fairness. Not only is Martin standing up against hate, he's creating an avenue and safe space for the LGBTQ plus community in the boxing world. So get ready to strap on those gloves and let's dive on in. Ding, ding. Hey, Martin, thank you so much for taking the time, especially on a Saturday morning for you. It's Friday afternoon for me. Um, glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. No, it's it's my absolute pleasure. I'm an early morning person, so I have a boxing lesson in a few hours. So I, I would usually be up early on a Saturday morning anyway, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Perfect. Well, thank you again. And um, to start it off, now that you're at your weekend, I'm not quite there yet, but what has inspired you this last week? What has inspired me this last week is the community speaking up against hatred and influencing what I consider as a positive outcome. What happened uh, a few years ago, Australia has a huge rugby union community. Rugby union is a huge sport. And there was a player called Israel Falau, who has his beliefs and his entitled to his freedom of speech, but he's made some deeply homophobic and transphobic remarks on Instagram to the extent of we're going to burn in hell. And a few years ago, he kept making those posts. And it has an impact on vulnerable members of the community. And this player, he sued rugby union. And there's a settlement worth, which really worth to be several million dollars. And after having signed a contract for not saying he will make these posts, did it anyway. Mm. So what happened this week, uh, there was a team and it was reported in the media that they wanted to recruit him to play again. And you think there have been all of these statements of that were, were against homophobia, yet there's a team wanting to, to sign him. Yeah. And there was absolute backlash from the community saying, well, how about LGBTQ plus people? Uh, our conservative radio hosts were, were speaking up. I, I went on a radio station to say, I, I think this is fundamentally wrong. And what happened is, is the community spoke and the club has now decided not, not to progress those conversations with him. Now, I, I believe he has the right to, to play rugby union or, or rugby league, but there also has to be a standard of, wait a minute, how about the harm this person has caused? Do, do yeah. we matter? There was one, um, one major bank made, made a statement saying, you know, we support inclusion and diversity. However, the decisions of who plays which team is the club and the rugby league 
not us. So you, it was more about that formative allyship because you, you're making a statement saying you support the LGBTQI plus community. But at the same time, when we need your support, you're not there. But it was great to see the community speaking out against hatred. Yeah, that is that's a great that's a great story, especially, you know, when we do need that support and allyship now more than ever. Um, and it's good to hear that, you know, the club pulled out of those conversations. It it makes me think, you know, here in the U.S., that happens quite often. Right. Is when we have um, I mean, we're such a sports focused uh, nation, right? Um, I see it pop up quite often. And where let's say a player of whatever sport has gone through, you know, has made comments against or, uh, you know, racist comments or homophobic comments, or, you know, they're, they've even been um, charged with things like domestic violence, things like that. And clubs still go out to reach out for them because of their talent. I mean, does that speak to us as a society, do you think? Or does that speak to us, you know, not holding those clubs or those organizations accountable and just say, look, you need to not, like, this is not okay. Or is it, you know, more internally within those organizations that are like, they need to have those conversations. What what are your thoughts on that? I believe it's a combination of both, but I would say it's largely based on the community and society at large. You know, most people would be absolutely against domestic violence and all of those egregious behaviours. However, how long does it take for you to start forgiving and saying that doesn't matter? If a player has been in prison for domestic violence and they're released and then suddenly they're signed again and the fans, it's great to see that player back and, and the sponsors of that sporting club are then saying, you know, it's not a problem, we're, we're against this thing, but there's a, usually a, a glossy statement saying that's why they're continuing to, to support. So I keep saying it's about changing the hearts and minds to really influence those decisions. Mm-hmm. If we're saying we're against this behaviour, yet people who perpetuate that behaviour are basically given a free pass to, to continue. Yeah. Now, I also believe in giving people a second chance and giving people about accepting an apology because people do change. But linking it back to, to Israel Falau, he currently has a contract to play for a club in Europe and has not taken down his Instagram post, which he's, he's entirely within his rights not, not to do that. But for me, this was then a third chance. How many times does somebody have, if they're not going to change the behaviour and you're, you're publicly saying you're against racism, homophobia, and all forms of hatred. But your your behaviours and actions are basically saying the opposite. Yeah. Then that, that's the problem for society to go and say, do we accept this? Because if you accept this, then all of your, your statements are, are less meaningful. Whereas saying, you know what, we, we, we stand against this behaviour and we'll follow through with meaningful actions. That is more allyship. And we're now talking about it's about, are you visibly an ally? Are you visibly taking steps to remove systemic bias? Are you visibly, are you visibly all of those things? Statements have got us so far, but it's actions, meaningful actions, which really make that, that change. Yeah, so uh, Martin, thank you. It's important for individuals such as myself who are not in 
the LGBTQ plus community, right. To fight for the community because we have to, to have to, you know, show up. I mean, it, you know, the, a, a lesson I recently learned was, you know, we have to, for those who have been, um, oppressed or judged or marginalized, it is incumbent on those of us who have not held that trauma or been or felt those actions against that community to fight for them because they've already felt it. Right. You know, like, you know, for example, um, the black community, it is not incumbent on them to fight their fight. Like we have to take that mantle up for them. Right. So, so, you know, it's really important for allies to really show up and to fight for uh, those communities to, to demand that those things are rectified. Absolutely. It's not my job as a gay man to fix homophobia. It's in my interest. And obviously that's, that's what I, what I do for the LGBTQI plus community, but it's also communities should help other communities as a white male. I do not face certain prejudices that my husband, who's a black male, has experienced. So in order for all communities to, to advance and, and not experience the discrimination, not experience the pain of somebody else's hatred, we should be speaking up for our own and, and other communities. Um, we, we talk about intersectionality. For me, intersectionality just comes down to you know, being a good friend to others. So you would speak up against homophobia or I should speak up against racism and, and prejudice that you or your friends may experience yeah. because it's quite selfish to just advance your own cause and not think about other people because friendships are formed. You know, we, we share our stories, a, a warm smile is, well, well, why don't you come down to the Mardi Gras, which is going to be in, in Sydney in a few weeks. And you know, you're, you're having an event. Well, what can I come down and, and see what, what you're doing? And, and perhaps, you know, what I really enjoy about, about Pride, certainly within, within Sydney, is, is the community focus, is how different aspects of the community come together and march in a parade, how in, in a fair day, the community comes together. And that's, that's where we, we co-mingle. LGBTQI plus is a very diverse community because it's representative of, of, of all communities. Yeah. And why would you not support your friends and family and allies when they're speaking up for you at the same time? That solidarity that you're speaking of, that community um, is very powerful. It really hits home for me and I, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, it sounds like you're inviting me to Mardi Gras. So I'm, uh, I'm going to book my plane ticket now. <laughs> I have to, I know, you know, uh, with you in Australia, I have to quarantine for two weeks. So, uh, I think there's plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting to the topic, um, you know, more before we dive more into it, um, and really focusing on, uh, your work, I want to really quickly touch on what it means to you to lead people first. What does that phrase mean to you? What it means is to think deeply about your impact on other people and how you can make a difference, not just for the people you are leading, but make a difference for, for others. You know, my, my key messages are, are courage and inclusion. And the leader should always be 
looking after his, her or their, the, the needs of, of their team first and foremost and inspiring other people to become leaders in, in what, whatever shape or form they want to become leaders. I, I believe we all lead in some aspects of our lives or some case you, you will talk about how you, you, you did something, you, you achieved something and, and that was you stepping up to be a leader. Yeah. So just really that inspiring. I'm a big fan of the, you know, the, the pay it forward philosophy. Think about mentors who helped you early in your career. What, what did they do for you? Because they were a decent person and they wanted to help. And I believe you, you, you carry that forward. But I don't know about you. I, I also learned so much from, from other people, but certainly younger members of the LGBTQI plus community uh, haven't had to face certain things that we had to face you know, in, in the 80s and 90s. But at the same time, they've had to face things which we never had to experience, you know, the, the, the trolling, the bullying on, on social media, those societal pressures which, which, which weren't there. And by sharing our experiences of, of what we've been through, it, it helped bring that camaraderie spirit and, and that allyship within our own communities as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that that's so true, right? And when we think about bringing others up and uh, I want to share some praise from Don Marie Westmoreland, who shared some praise about you who said, I truly admire the tenacity and courage that Martin Stark presents every day. He is a breath of fresh air for the LGBTQI community and everyone else. So it's, uh, you certainly have that impact as you bring others up and um, people recognize it. And I appreciated it as well. Uh, and, thank you. and I'm a huge, huge fan of Dawn, her, her work around anti-bullying, respectful work, forces uh i i i see what don does and i'm just like wow I'm, I'm i'm so in awe of what she what she has achieved yeah we can definitely lift each other up because again there are so many people out there who do who does so uh there are so many people out there doing so many amazing things and um amplifying each other's voices is absolutely something we want to do right um and you're certainly at a place in your life where you're really working to make an impact right and it started when, well, I, I won't say it started, but a major turning point for you was when you were diagnosed with Addison's disease and that recovery journey and how you fell in love with boxing. So can you walk us through a little bit about how you got to where you are today? So um, it's a process I really call uh, from coma to courage. 15 years ago, I had gallstones blocking my liver a procedure to try and remove the blockage caused a uh, dye to seep into my pancreas, collapsed lungs, a severe acute pancreatitis, septic shock, two induced comas, a tracheotomy, undiagnosed Addison's disease. And, and Addison's disease is an autoimmune condition where your body does not produce two types of steroids and cortisol. Cortisol is your stress hormone. You think about psychological, emotional, and physical stress, and your body will produce more cortisol, which is the stress hormone my, my body doesn't. So having that experience, two comas, a tracheotomy, which was my worst fear, living through my worst fear, having major surgery, and then being diagnosed. By the way, you also have a rare autoimmune condition. 
I had a choice at that, at that point. I'd, I'd been through so much and I remember going on a course in the late 90s and it was about giving feedback in a performance review and it was an acronym, Sarah, shock, anger, resistance, acceptance. And it's, it's about the, the different processes people go through and it, maybe it's around, around grief, but you, you're shocked, you become angry, you resist and then you accept. And I learned acceptance was the easiest thing I could do. It was also the most effective thing I could because then I could influence the outcome and help manage what would happen. So I've been in hospital 70 times over the last 15 years, had four major surgeries, dealt with chronic pain. What I didn't realise was how courageous I was being. I just thought, yeah, deal with it, get on with it. And I think it's that tenacity that, that Dawn was, was talking to. Now, at the end of 2017, went to work. It's, it's one of those days that you think, nothing of it, everything's going to be fine. I'm at work and I start feeling there's something wrong here. So I, I take in a high dose of cortisone, not feeling great. I, I, I come home and I collapse at home. This is bad. So uh, with Addison's disease, we, we give ourselves an intramuscular injection of, of, of cortisone. So hundred milligrams of, of cortisone. That usually is sufficient to stabilize me to get to hospital, but it wasn't. So I, I call triple I, the equivalent of, of 911 in America. And the first responder comes so this before the ambulance comes. And this is a, a paramedic on a motorbike comes, starts giving me intravenous uh, fluids, which is vital for adolescents to help stabilize because I'm, 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 but my pulse is below 40. And I have a low pulse anyway. My, blood pressure is very low ambulance comes rush straight into hospital now in australia we have in the emergency department something called resuscitation which is like the ic where people have always been resuscitated car disruptions go straight into recess which is the most critical and it was my first time of having an adrenal crisis and straight into the resuscitation area and i'm not stabilizing I mean, and the pots are still very very low and I'm like, what's happening here? I, I knew I was gravely ill, but I didn't realise how close I was to dying. And in my mind, I'm linking back to my times in induced comas. And it took 20 times my daily dose to actually start stabilising. And it, after about another half an hour, I'm recovering. But it took more fluids, more cortisol and everything. And like, well, the next step is, is back on that ventilator, back in that induced coma. And I don't want to go there, but so that obviously had a level of PTSD. Your mind sometimes connects with previous memories. To get over that, I have a few self-defense classes and that second class happens to be boxing. And for me, boxing was almost barbaric. I could never do it. I would I'd associate with boxing and me. But within an hour, I was, I was hooked in sport. Developed a natural attitude for it, hitting baggage and everything. And then my journey became boxing. And now if you Google my name and World Gay Boxing Championships, you'll see everything that I'm, I'm trying to achieve by disrupting homophobia and sport and, and bring communities together. But that has, sometimes a life-changing moment is also an opportunity to change your life in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and other things, things have happened. And two years ago, I started cataloging my story on LinkedIn and sharing what I believe. And that's why I'm doing these things now. You know, it's, it's life can be 
hard. It can be very, very tough. The courage within you can drive you forward. And and I can't describe that anyway more than that gut feeling. You know, are you going to stand by this? Are you going to say that's acceptable? Or are you going to wait for somebody else to fight for you? Or are you actually going to stand up for yourself and move forward? And there's something within me which says, that's not acceptable for me or my community or other people. So I'm going to try and speak up and see what I, I can do to help you go along that path. You connect with other people. You connect with people who want to help, who are really passionate about the community. And you build your network and you change hearts and minds through your behaviours, through how you communicate, how you're visibly in a life for somebody else, or you're, you're visibly working to, to help change the system. Of, of fairness I think most people want to be fair the system is a reflection of everybody in society you know, we, we talk about systemic bias systemic racism but the, the, the system in inverted commas is a reflection of all of us unfortunately it's a reflection that some people are treated more fairly than others in, in 2021 you know I remember codes of conduct and anti-discrimination policies and all those they've been around for decades so the policies have been there Maybe the policies weren't as effective as, as what they are today, but it's a reflection on many people. Certainly, you, you go look at the hierarchies within companies, it's, it doesn't take you long to realise who has the positions of power and, and the class, the colour, the sexuality. But there's some great people who are in positions of influence who are really driving the change, who are visible allies. So it's, it's connecting hearts and minds and influencing isn't always just saying this is wrong. It's like, this is wrong. This is how I can help you. So you can help me. I I think that's so incredibly powerful and it just shows a, again, like you said, your resilience, but it also is incredible how you took that to not just say, Oh, you know, I need to change my life, but I can change the lives of so many other people. And that's something that, um, you know, with World Gay Boxing Champions, uh, the championship is going to absolutely do that. Um, the thing that I, I have a question about, and I think um, addresses a number of different things, but, um, you know, I think about, for example, here in the U.S. where we have the separation between, you know, not that the separation doesn't exist anywhere else, but the separation between like professional men and professional women's sports right and the argument of well if women were so good why don't they just play with the men how you know and i'll i'll change that to what you what you're doing with uh with gay boxing you know why why can't you know what do you say to those who say well why can't gay men or the lgbtq community just box in regular boxing so the stats are still there the studies have shown that homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, intophobia, atophobia is still at the levels where LGBTQI plus people don't have the same outcomes as heterosexual people. A study conducted by the EU in 2019, five and a half thousand participants, LGBTQ sporting participants, within the 12-month preceding period, 16% had had an incident of hatred while on the sporting field or in the sporting environment. Mm-hmm. Of those 16%, 20% had been 
physically attacked. You think about the spectator sports uh, and out on the fields conducted a study, I think 2015. And I think they said like 75% of people, all people had witnessed or observed homophobia, transphobia in the sporting arena. So I'm not saying it doesn't stop people from it. And absolutely, I, I, I'm so grateful for the trailblazing efforts of LGBTQI plus people and allies to, to speak up. But we're not yet there where people can be feel psychologically and physically safe. Yeah. They can just compete. We're still applauding. And, and I'm so appreciative of professional players who, who come out of the closet. It makes headline news. Uh, a retired rugby union player recently announced he was gay a few months ago. It makes national news. So why does it make national news when a player sounds like he, what he, she, or, or they are? Because it, we haven't yet made an environment where, where those things don't matter yeah. anymore. And, and I come to the mental health outcomes. Just once that I know, just within gay and bisexual men who play team sports are five times more likely to attempt suicide than the heterosexual mates. I think a lot of people in, in team sports state, they, they go along with the crowd. So if, if everybody on the team are making homophobic slurs and you, you join in because you want to feel part of the crowd, yet when those behaviours stop, the rates of homophobia in sport reduced significantly. There was a study done by uh, the university in Victoria. I think 92% of straight players would welcome an LGBTQ person, but 52% or around 50% had actually heard or or made themselves homophobic comments in in, in the preceding few weeks. So how do you, and other studies have shown that not many people would actually report an instance of racism in sport, homophobia in sport, even though you may have heard it, you may be against it, but we're not yet at that place. And a bonus that I want to share is the Kick It Out campaign, which is the Football Association soccer game in the UK in the 2019-20 football season, which was curtailed because of COVID. Reported incidents of racism had increased by 53%. Homophobia, transphobia, by over 90%. So reports are showing that incidents of hatred are increasing, yet people aren't speaking up to the extent that they're, they're reporting to stop these incidents from occurring. Yeah, so it, it's I wasn't aware of that stat of the increase, and that's very discouraging and, and heartbreaking because it, you know, for from my view and my standpoint, I feel like, we're moving, we're making progress, but based on that statistic, that study, it it sounds like we're going the other way and, you know, moving this from sport and into organizations, you know, there's still a lot of hesitation bias against the LGBTQ community, even though organizations are, you know, waving their pride flags and saying, Hey, we, you know, we accept, you know, people regardless of identity or sexuality and, but there's still, again, all of these things that are built into the organizational system. So how do we get individuals and organizations to be more accepting, truly accepting, and create a sense of belonging to, 
not only just attract, but to let those who are in the organization feel like they are in a safe space. So I, and I share the stats and stats don't always paint a picture of, um, I think some people are emboldened to be the homophobes and racists because of the lack of consequences. Mm-hmm. But I, we are a more accepting society in so many ways. You think about what companies are doing now for Pride Month. You think about diversity and inclusion, where it has come. But that doesn't mean if you receive a, a gold status or a platinum status or 100% in a score, that's absolutely fantastic. But in business, they talk about continuous improvement. Why do you not have continuous improvement for people with inclusion, diversity, equity, and belonging? So to answer your question, I I think it's about making the statements, not just a superficial statement, but but be meaningful. So a CEO, a board, executive team, be visibly anti-racist, be visibly against homophobia, transphobia, and other forms of hatred have conversations in your team meetings, have conversations with colleagues, with, with customers. When your behavior is seen, you know what, wow, uh, Jill, Bob, Jane, whoever, they're constantly talking about this and, and they're demonstrating their allyship that they're visibly making a difference and make it part of objectives, make it part of an agenda in a team meeting. That in, then influences others. Um, Companies should promote, you know, we, we are an inclusive space, uh, but the danger is performative allyship. What I mean by that is you're just saying, yes, we're inclusive. Yes, we're an ally, but scratch beneath the surface. Do you really, do you really mean that? Yeah. Uh, an example will be Target in the US. It's currently Black History Month. And I read on Target's own websites that there are a range of products to help celebrate and signify Black History Month. But only a third of those products are sourced from Black-owned businesses. So why during Black History Month where you're selling products to reflect Black History Month, would 100% of those products not be sourced from Black-owned businesses? When you're making a public statement that you want to increase what you procure from Black-owned businesses, and then it, it, it comes down to LGBTQ as well. So you, you, you have the rainbow flag in, in your marketing. So when it comes down to at the end of Pride Month, do you take the rainbow flag away? What do you do during other days of the month? Like you, you're back in Idaho Day and Work Purple Day and all the, the rainbow flag and the trans flag and the binary flag, the bike, that, that, they're all there. But what do you do in the days in between? Yeah. Now, you, you may support the LGBTQI plus community in many ways. However, a classic example would be the Equality Act in America, which has not yet been passed, is down to a few individual senators and Congress people. If your organization says it should be passing the Equality Act, yet you're donating money to politicians who vote against the Equality Act, yeah, that is to me is the classic example of, well, you, you, you don't mean it to the extent that you're not going to give money to somebody. And what are you doing for your LGBTQI plus employees? What, what would they say it's like to work in your organization? Not the ones who, who do this, uh, you know, during Pride Month. I'm proud to work for an organization where I can truly be myself. 
what are you making it about the organization or are you making it about I'm proud to work for an organization where I can be myself and they're actually taking meaningful action because we're we're stuck in this cycle of performative allyship because if if somebody's experiencing racism, experiencing homophobia, experiencing discrimination, and the company is making all of these statements, is it safe to speak up? Will you be retaliated against? Yeah. Whereas if you're visibly making efforts every single day, every single week, it then becomes part of your of your behaviour, and we're, we're kind of, you know, it's like talking the talk and, and walking the walk in. Google search, I, I don't believe in naming and shaming, but, but Google search, you'll find a plenty of examples of where those statements haven't really been followed through. And, and I mentioned Target because it was in the news this week. Yeah. But it, it's not. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, really frustrated me specifically with, um, I mean, it was very apparent last year with the George Floyd protests, right? is all these organizations suddenly saying, oh yeah, we care. And, and we are almost a year later. And if you look back, which of those organizations have made meaningful change? And the thing that I really um, resonate on and we've talked about before is don't wave and market yourself as an inclusive environment and say, hey, we accept and love people from the LGBTQ community or we are an anti-racist organization put that on, you know, your website for a month, like you said, and then take it down. That is a year. It's just like black history month right now, this, this month in the U S it's to highlight it, but are you doing something about it every single day of the year? Are you making it a part of your actual culture? Are you uplifting those voices in the LGBTQ community, right? Are you working with them and listening to them when it comes to problem solving within your own organization? And so that is what, that's what actual, uh, to me, that's what actual change is, if, is if you are a true ally. And by the way, I'm very much on board with, you cannot call yourself an ally. I would, for me, I would never call myself an ally to a particular group unless they designate me as that. I will never put, even if they designate me as an ally to a certain community, I will never blast it anywhere. I'll say, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm an activist or I, I'm an advocate. I will fight for you. But that is some, you know, if they, they, if someone wants to say, Hey, you're an ally to this group, then I'll say, great. Um, but again, you have to do more than just get that stamp or that sticker on your, you know, Instagram stories. It's, it has to go so much further beyond just this social media post that we see a lot of people and organizations do. 2nd of June, 2020, blackout. Tuesday, lots of people made public statements. Yeah. Like a few times made a post on LinkedIn. What have you done since? Have you honored your commitments? Have you, have you followed through? I, I remember somebody telling me about, oh, they were advised to use this hashtag, not this hashtag, because on the 2nd of June 2020, this hashtag was apparently trending. See, the person giving that advice clearly did not mean it, clearly did not care, but wanted to be seen as being. So you, you look back and friends who we all were outraged but what have you done since and what were you doing before that day is it there's going to be another incident and something occurs and for 20 hours the news cycle you make a statement but what what do you do to follow through and that is the key is, is, is what are you doing day in day out so it doesn't have to be this struggle 
it isn't incumbent on yourself, I mean, a few of the, you know, friends who are the ones beating the drum every single day, because people like us are actually beating that drum every single day. We're taking risks with our careers. We're taking risks with our future opportunities because an employer may say, oh, wait a minute, Chris is speaking about this. Martin is speaking about this. Brenda is speaking about this. Josephine is speaking about this. Now, if I applied for a job in, in two years' time, they're going to look at your social media history and they're going, oh, that person's a troublemaker. That person's this. So we're risking a lot of our reputation yeah. by putting ourselves out there. And I'll, I'll say to other people in the LGBTQI plus community, join join in, you know, speak up. Not everybody feels confident to do that. But are you then leaving it to a few other people to drive that change that, that you get the benefit of? And I love the pay it forward philosophy. Think about the struggles that other people have gone through, how they fought for the rights that we enjoy today. Yeah. Every, I remember watching a, a marketing video, but the phrase, every generation should live better than the last. You know, every generation should live better than the last, but it, it's people have had to fight for that, fight for those struggles and face great adversity, great opposition, but enough people then change their view. And it was then accepted. If you, if you go back 30 years ago, think about the homophobia that existed there and the absolute fear-mongering. Hatred is never far away. You know, the number of black trans women who have been murdered, the number of trans people who face discrimination uh, an, an example, a friend of mine, when she has applied for jobs, and her female name has less opportunities when she's applied using a male name. And the male name, job interviews come through, female name. It, so even just for trans people, then applying for jobs for who they are, face discrimination, you know, face the misogyny, really. Yeah. And But how long has International Women's Day, you know, women's rights been out there? But how many men? would say they are feminist to the extent that they're actually, they're trying to make a difference for others. And we're a long way to, to make those changes, but it's, I think it's more people who join in and speak up in, in whichever way they feel comfortable than helps influence outcomes. Yeah. Well, it's like you said earlier, right? Put your money where your mouth is. And that includes, yeah. you know, your career, that includes your livelihood. Um, that's something that I personally had to learn. You know, I grew up in a very con conservative household, Christian household. And, um, you know, I had a very misdirected view of the world. And it took me a long time to come around to that. You know, when it comes now to being an advocate and a fighter for those who can't either fight or fighting alongside them for what's right for, you know, equality. It's not about me. I think that that's a common misconception is, you know, it goes back to what happened last year with black, you know, everyone posting up a little black square on their, on their, um, on their social media feeds. It's like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm look at me. I'm standing in solidarity with you, but it's not, you know, but that ended up hurting a lot of the communities who were protesting, right? Because what ended up, what, what was happening was during those protests, the people actually in the protests were using social media to get the word out and say what's happening. But because everyone was using the same hashtag, right? 
it was a bunch of black squares instead of what was actually happening on the streets. And so rather than, you know, rather than posting a black square, you should have said, you know, what should have happened was I'm standing in solidarity. You need to see what's happening here and amplify someone else's voice. It is not about you. It's about them. It's not about what your reputation is. It's about what you can do for them and their future and their rights and their livelihoods so you have we have to do more we have to think outside of ourselves to make that change and i know that that's something you've written about too right is is this notion of outrage versus enrage and enrage enrage yeah spelling with an i so yeah yeah that's something that really resonated with me it's you know there's the word is the the cancel culture you, you think about last year how long did it take for people to be focused on, yes, I agree, there should be no racism. So then it's now about statues and monuments. And then suddenly people who are protesting are described in, in ways which are very egregious. And then suddenly there's a Black Lives Matter rally, COVID is increasing. Oh, we're going to link it to a Black Lives Matter rally associating with COVID. And suddenly, wait a minute. A few weeks ago, you were posting on the 2nd of June, 2020, but now you're outraged over a monument, over a statue. Yeah. And you're describing people's behavior in a way, but you, a few weeks ago, you were saying you're outraged by somebody being murdered about the racism. But you, so it, it doesn't take long to, for that to nuance and into something else. And then, Another instant will occur and say that's wrong. We keep saying that's wrong. But what have you done? Have you educated yourself? Or is the burden on the victims of racism and the victims of homophobia and the victims of hatred to do that? There are only so many times you, you, you get, and I, and I talk about enrage is inviting other people in that discussion. But enrage, if you're outraged by something, go and research it, go along to help. Just be a good friend. You know, I, I watched a TED talk recently and it was about inclusion and a person who'd been promoted and would go into meetings and their voice would not be listened to. And they were challenged by somebody, you know, you know why aren't you saying, why aren't you doing all of this work? And this person's manager said, you know, you know well, what's going on? And, and, and this person mentioned about what was happening. Well, in subsequent meetings, this person sat next to the manager and the manager would always agree with what this person was saying. It didn't take long before other people started noticing what this person was saying mm-hmm. and was accepted because the manager spoke up and didn't just agree for the sake of agreeing, supported what this person was saying because they were adding value. They were making a difference. Yeah. But other people in the room weren't giving them an opportunity to have a voice. And at the same time saying, you're not doing your work because you're not speaking that well. Speaking is great, but listening is more effective. Yeah, <laughs> it makes uh, it, it just shows how active listening and empathy is such a critical part of leadership, right? Yeah. And uh, it's something that actually I, I was going to save it to the end, but you know, there's a good segue. Theon Allen had shared about about you and said, Martin is an empathetic leader who cares about developing those around him. He's pragmatic and direct, calling things as he sees them and provides great mentorship. So again, you are 
you have that ability in you, uh, Martin. And so I appreciate that. Other people appreciate it as well. Um, Thank you, Theon, too. Yeah. So as we start um, wrapping up, what is the impact that you want to have as you lead others? So this is where I struggle a little bit about about impact. And I don't want it to be about me. And I think sometimes, look at me, this is what I'm doing. What I, what I want to do, I think it, my core messages are around courage and inclusion. I really want people to enjoy life and unapologetically be who they are. Within the sport of boxing, the, the love of the community by the Australian boxing community so there has been this it's a heartwarming people say yeah, we want to help you so i think my own impact is i want to help disrupt the homophobia transphobia biphobia in sport to the extent that we don't need to have events like the world gay boxing championships which is a straight friendly lgbtqi plus inclusive that we've we've made enough impact that we don't need to talk about so many of the things that we're having today and that other people are having to experience the, the pain of discrimination that's the impact I would, I would like to have but it's not about me it's about other people and the impact they can have on others yeah again that's that's what i love about you and, and your approach is you look beyond your again you look beyond yourself right it is it's not about me it's not about you it's about the other people that we are have you know that are benefiting from our work and that we're fighting for yeah. So Martin, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, what would you like our listeners to do next? What I'd like listeners to do next is listen, the next few days, have a conversation with somebody you consider an acquaintance, but it's not yet your friend or you're not a friend to him, her or them. And just listen, go for a coffee, do something to just listen to their story and share your story and then just connect and grow and do that for the next few days with with other people and see how many more friends you can make and how many more people would consider you not an acquaintance, but a friend. Beautiful. Thank you, Martin, again, so much for coming on. Uh, I will leave you with this one last parting word from Kristen Michelle, who says, I am a big fan of Martin and what he has done to bring diversity and inclusion to boxing is simply amazing. On a personal level, his struggles and how he has overcome them are a personal inspiration for me. My life has been better for knowing Martin. So thank you again, Martin, for coming on and we will talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. Martin's story and work shows that we have to be so much better than we were yesterday, especially when it comes to taking up the mantle for others. I hope his work gives you courage to drive forward and act in solidarity for the communities that need your support. If you liked this episode, hit subscribe and click the share button to send it to someone who needs to hear about Martin's work. Let's keep this conversation by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.